Today on More Than a Test, I'm joined by Nadia Madan Morrow. She was the Chief Academic Officer at Denver Public Schools. She's actually stepping down to go back into a school because as she says, it's important for her to see how all of the policies that she created, developed, put into schools actually live in schools. So she's gonna be living the policies that she wrote as the Chief Academic Officer. She's joining me from just down the road in Denver. She is an inspiring person who's overcome a lot to do the great things she's done for Denver Public School students. And this is a story you're not gonna wanna miss. Nadia, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Such an honor. We were just reflecting on how it is like 90 degrees here in Colorado. It's incredibly hot. It's the middle of summer and you are giving us your time when I'm sure your kids and your family need you. So thanks for spending some time with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, so you and I, uh, it's it's great for me because you're the first guest I've ever had that's actually in Colorado. Oh. Uh, and so that's really thrilling because I live in Colorado. I was a teacher a print, an assistant principal and a principal in Denver Public Schools, as were you. Um, I didn't go quite as far up the ladder as you did. Um, but for people who don't know, Colorado has, one, had a crazy year, but it is also a kind of a crazy place to be in education. Um, and so, uh, you know, for people who don't know, you know, we had a shooting at East High School, uh, which is right down the street from where I own a house in, in Denver. Um, we have a board in Denver Public Schools that... I mean, if you go, if you drive through Denver, you'll see signs that say, you know, remove the board and things like that. People are pretty upset and, and a lot of other things. And you were, have been serving as the chief academic officer in Denver public schools in the middle of this. And I, I have to like hope that maybe academics feel separate when all that other stuff is happening. Is that true? Do academics feel separate or is it just like in these big districts and in places like Denver, everything is just impacting everyone? Um, I would say yes and no, right? So in lots of ways, um, there are different folks in the district that focus on safety and security of, of, of the building um, and that sort of thing. So in lots of ways, it was separate, but also there is a tremendous overlap, right? Because under academics, there's also the whole child team that their explicit focus is on social emotional learning in schools. And so um, it really came into play for us about what are we doing um, for teachers and students during this time to make sure that we're taking care of people and what's happening instructionally for kids. Well, and then the other thing is, is just that adults have been really struggling um, with, to deal with all that's happening. And so I would say that there were times where we couldn't necessarily show up and talk about literacy instruction because the adults weren't necessarily in the right space. Oh, wow. I, I, I didn't even think about that. I was going to ask you, let me ask you the question I was going to ask first. So you said the whole child team is under academics. What else is under, like, what are the other silos? So I'm sure literacy team, what else? Literacy, math, STEAM, and STEAM is bigger than what would you would originally think. So it also includes things like library services, um, media, um, educational technology, all fall under STEAM um, in addition to the science, et cetera. Uh, multilingual education, college and career success, gifted and talented. I think and I'm sure all. there are others. I'm sure so, there's others, yes. And, and is professional learning or is that another team? Um, yes, and. <laughs> so, like there's a team that takes care of like the logistics, but the content for professional learning is, de is developed by us. Wow, that's a, that's a lot. And is that is that common, do you know, for chief academic officers to have that much under uh, in that I mean, I think so. I mean, really the academics uh, portion of a school district is really the strategy arm, right? Like this is what we are doing in terms of strategy. And um, so we need to make sure that things like professional learning are hand in hand and we have a, a, a common approach to professional learning because um, if the science department and the math department are doing professional learning for teachers, the teachers that they're serving are the, are, are the same people, right? And so we need to make sure that our departments are connecting the dots for our teachers. Oh, wow. Okay. So you have this whole entire team under you and you're the chief academic officer for one year or two years at DPS? One year. One year. Wow. I can Are you exhausted after this last year? <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how you even start with that, right? There's so many things that are so different. Even just math and literacy have such, you know, different ways to teach methodologies, curriculums, like everything comes from different places, but then you add in a whole child, add in library. It's just so many things. Is that what it feels like? Or did you feel like the team underneath you, you could separate it a lot? Um, well, I mean, I think I had a couple of, a couple of things that were helpful for me. 
the first is that I was I was in the role for a year, but I had been within the academics division for many years, and I had was the executive director of multilingual education prior. And, you know, a significant portion, about 30,000 of our students in Denver Public Schools are multilingual learners. So everything that we do in Denver Public Schools has an impact on multilingual learners. So my previous role, that meant that I was already working very deeply with those other departments, with the literacy department, with the math department, to make sure that we were embedding um, strategies and ma making sure the curriculum choices we were making were going to be beneficial for multilingual learners. So I came into the role with quite a lot of experience and connections uh, with the folks on my team. So one of the things that I love that you said a few minutes ago was, you know, being over academics is like being the strategy arm of a district. Um, I recently got my MBA and I had a strategy professor who said, if you never say no, you don't have a strategy. Were there some things that you had to say no to this year that were hard to let go of? Yes. And I can't, I'm trying to think of an example right now and I'm, 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 I'm falling short. Um, I think that what we did a really good job of this year was really getting specific about we're going to really focus on two main things, which was getting grade level text and tasks um, in front of kids and making sure that students are engaging with them and creating a safe and welcoming environment in schools. And so those are my two primary focus, focuses. And so anytime new initiatives came forward, if you couldn't ground them in those two, then we had to say, not right now. Right now. Um, let's talk about the grade level tasks because I think anybody who's been reading the New York Times this summer is probably getting a shock to their system every couple of weeks as the NAEP scores come out and we're finding how far behind kids are. And then just recently, the New York Times had one about how the learning loss has persisted much longer than we thought. So how, how, what's the emphasis around grade level tasks when most of the data showing kids can't access them right now? So it really is, um, it, 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 we can't go back in time, right? A sixth grader only has one shot at sixth grade. And if a student was in sixth grade in the pandemic and they missed that content, um, and that student is now in ninth grade, we can't go back in time. We don't have three more years to redo all of that. So it's really important that we're giving students grade level text and tasks, and then we're doing the work to scaffold up and help fill in any gaps in learning that kids might have. Because if we try to go back in time and try to redo that learning, we will never catch kids up. And so that's, that's why the emphasis was on getting grade level text and tasks in front of kids. Um, that makes sense. Well, and you end up losing the year that you have, right? If you are always going back. So I, I hear what you're saying, but I can't imagine how difficult that is for teachers or uh, you as an academic officer. And one of the things that you and I talked about um, before this call was like, you know, looking over your resume, your LinkedIn, you, you've done a lot. <laughs> you know, I think you started as a first grade teacher, maybe. Um, and, you, and you've done a lot of roles to your point to what you said before in the district. Was the plan always to become a chief academic? Like, was this your goal? No, it was never. I, it was never on my radar, honestly. <laughs> I started Did you just keep walking through the doors that open for you. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, you know, I started as a as a kindergarten teacher, kindergarten bilingual teacher, which I did for two years. Um, and then I was a first grade teacher for eight. And then um, I I was in a bilingual school and I had the, we had the opportunity to participate in a research project through CU Boulder. And um, so I decided to do that. And then I was sort of tapped on the shoulder to say, why don't you come out of the classroom and start coaching other teachers? And I, okay, sure. That's great. Then I think I'll have a little bit more impact. Right. So I did that for several years. And then I got tapped on the shoulder and said, actually, we'd, you know, it'd be really great if you could, could help work, help focus on students at multilingual learners across the district. And so I just sort of kept getting tapped on the shoulder and I just sort of, I've always had the attitude that I've never been able to type a person to answer that question about what do you want to be in five years or what do you want to do in five years? My answer always is, where do I think I'm going to have the most impact for kids? Wow. That's, that's really valuable and important and, and somewhat impressive thinking about what you're doing next. And so let me ask you about that because you're not going to be the chief academic officer. You're actually going to go back to a school, which I, I think that if you talk to most people, there are very few people who go to district office and then back into a school setting and you're going to lead PlaceBridge in Denver public schools. And what I know about PlaceBridge is that they have a very large newcomer population. Isn't that correct? That's right. 
And for people, why don't you go ahead and explain what who, what a newcomer is or who a newcomer is for people who don't know? Yeah, so PlaceBridge is a ECE through eight school. So it's wonderful. We have kids that are there for 10 years and we specialize in serving newcomers. And newcomers are students that have come um, as refugees or newly immigrated to this country. And most of them have had interrupted or no schooling in the first country, in their home country, in the home language. And so it's not just serving multilingual learners. It's also serving kids that have come from war-torn countries, various difficult situations that are coming here. And so we have to have, we have heavy emphasis on supporting students in acquiring language, but also in terms of the social emotional development. And um, PlaceBridge also has a community hub there that has a lot of wraparound services for, for families. So it's got food bank, it's got clothing services, it's got classes for, for adults. And so really thinking about how we support the whole child and whole family as they enter the country. Which is a huge lift for a school. You know, I've worked at a school before with the Newcomer Center and it, it becomes, you know, like you're not just serving kids from eight to three anymore, right? You're serving their families whatever time they drop them off, which is often very early until as late as, you know, the adult classes go or until we can get them, you know, the doctor service, a dentist call that can, that needs to happen because it's a full, like you're, you are, you know, in charge of not just their education, their academics, but their life. Um, which, so I, I cannot say how much it means to me that you're, you're making this choice um, to go, to go back to a school. But you know, what you told me just a minute ago is you've always looked to go, you like, you keep stepping through doors that are open for you because it's where you think you can have the most impact. Is this where you're going to have the most impact next year? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have been in central office for about 10 years and I'm really proud of a lot, all that I've accomplished. I feel like I built really strong systems um, really helped change mindsets about how we serve multilingual learners across the district. Um, like I can point to many, many different things that I have done. And the higher up I got, the more removed I personally felt from students. And so while I knew I was making an impact for kids, like it didn't, it wasn't start filling my cup the way that being with kids every day felt. And so I decided it was time to go back to school and be with kids and connect more deeply with kids and families. Gosh, that school is just so lucky. So let me ask you how you manage something because you and I met at the WLE conference, the Women Leading Education Conference. And um, I work in a tech, but I sat in that room thinking, oh my God, I want to go be a superintendent, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And they get that you fired up, right? Yes. It's like, you know, very inspirational women. We talk about how there aren't enough women doing the top job. We talk about like how important this is. You know, it, it is just a powerful couple of days. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you walk out of that and decide, I actually, you know, want to stop going up and instead go have impact somewhere else. I can't imagine that's easy. I'm sure there's still a little bit of like the WLE voice in your head. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how do you, how do you figure that out for yourself? How do you decide where you're supposed to go? How do you know what's pulling you? Well, I mean, I think that there was the I need to get back to being the kids to fill my cup again. And it's not to say that I couldn't at some point in the future uh, go back and do something else in the future. But for the being 10 years away meant like I, and in that 10 year period, I had smaller kids at home, which I think was helping me fill my kid, my kid cup. And now my kids are teenagers. And so I was, I was, I was feeling a little bit of void of that. So I think that there is some, at some point in the future, I might, I might think about doing something else down the road. But in the meantime, I felt it felt, important to me to get back to kids and reground and sort of why we're here what's happening and to see the impact of some of my work downtown to see like how did it actually play out and I did a lot building systems at the district level and so I want to see like how well does it really play out in the at the school level and is there something that we can really um at some point in the future perhaps share more broadly with folks about how you sort really serve multilingual learners I think that's really brave. I think all I just like politicians is what come to mind to me, right? Like how often are they passing some sort of legislature that they will never actually have to experience? And what you're saying is I'm going to go see what my work did. I had spent 10 years and I'm going to go see what it, what, like what actually happened for kids. Can you think of one initiative that you're most excited to see in PlaceBridge when you're there as a principal? So we're a part of building. Obviously. Yeah. So one of my biggest projects, um, in the last 10 years was, so Denver Public Schools is under a consent decree, um, which means it's a federal 
court order that is mandating how they serve multilingual learners. And so um, when I first came out of a school, I was actually asked to work with our charter schools in Denver, which about a quarter of our students um, attend. And I was asked to do that because charter schools had been written into the consent decree for the very first time. And so there were requirements on how they needed to serve their multilingual learners that they didn't know, hadn't had to do yet. So I came in and I created a, basically like a report card, it's called an ELA program review of how I was evaluating schools implementation of their programming on an annual basis. And so I used that with charter schools for a few years. And that was then when I got tapped on the shoulder to come over to the <laughs> multilingual education department. Actually, it was the English language acquisition department at the time. When I came in, I changed the name because I wanted it to be more asset based um, to be able to apply that thinking to all schools. Um, because, and I was sort of mm, shocked at the time that Denver Public Schools had been under a court order for decades, but there actually really wasn't a way of evaluating how are schools doing on meeting the various requirements. There's more than 300 requirements in this consent decree. There was no way of really evaluating um, how schools were doing. And so I really put into this system in place where schools are evaluated annually on their implementation. It's, it, it's a big, um, it's, it's a sort of like a report card. And so any line of this rubric where a school might be rated as approaching or does not meets that then requires a plan for the following year that the schools then need to implement. And so I've been sort of running this and evaluating schools for, for years. And in some cases um, have had to really hold some schools very accountable for not uh, implementing what they had to do. Um, and so I'm interested now to see that from the other side that um, after I sort of handed this over to my team, you know, it has morphed in, in different ways and is it still getting to what we were hoping to accomplish or have we created too much more of a, of a compliance exercise that's not very meaningful? So I'm hoping to see that this is actually in a meaningful system that, that really works. I love that you're open-minded to the fact that though, that it might be a compliance. Like, I hate to say that for you, mm -hmm. but like as someone who's been a principal, so many things end up feeling like checking the box, getting the paperwork in, uh, it's like a barrier to doing what I need to do for kids. And so it's cool that you want to go and see and find out. Um, when you look at the school that you're about to inherit, you know, are how are they, based on the rubric, how are they performing? Are you going into something that's gonna need a lot of support and really getting you getting going or are they kind of, they've, they've done it well for the last few years? They have some areas for growth, for sure. I think there's some areas of strength and there's some areas for growth. Some things are, um, relatively easy to fix, such as getting some of our forms turned in and on time, like that's a pretty quick fix I think we can we can remedy. Um, I think that uh, it, it's the student outcomes that are, are the challenging ones, right? And that's what's challenging for most schools, and in particularly post-pandemic, post where we know multilingual learners are most impacted in, in the pandemic, um, it really is getting that achievement back up. Yeah. So when you decided that you wanted to go back to a school, did you know where you wanted to go? I mean, mm -hmm. to me, listening to you talk about PlaceBridge, it sounds like a perfect fit. You knew you were like, you saw the opening and you were like, this is for me. Yep. It, it was, that was the only school I applied to. And that was, if I hadn't have gotten it, I would not have made a move. Um, but this is the school that it has, uh, has a new newcomer program, but also has a bilingual program, which is my area of expertise. And I happened to live uh, walking distance from the school. <laughs> and so it was like, uh, this is my ideal school. This is my dream school. And it's actually one that I've said for many years, like I'm gonna end my career in DPS as a principal of that school. And so when it opened up, um, it actually opened up in December because the principal got a promotion. And so in December, I sort of had this, oh, maybe this is the time. I'm like, no, no, no. You just got started in your job. Like, no, not the time, like next round. And then it just kept nagging at me. They put an interim in for a couple months and um, then they got ready in the spring to hold the official hiring process. And it just kept nagging at me. I thought, you know what, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And so 
That's yeah. amazing. Can I tell you, I've been, we've been on this call for a little while now and we've talked about a lot of different things and talking about the school is the first time I've really got to see you light up. It's been like, I'm so lucky to get you, but how special that you know that. I think I said this before about the WLE thing and, and I mean this wholeheartedly. I think so often we get caught up in the titles, the ladders, the money, all of those things and don't really know, can't, can't look out and say, Hey, maybe there's this other thing I want to do. Um, so I think that's really special. Obviously, this is a perfect fit. Have you taken a job in your career? Because you've been in DPS the whole time, right? Has Has there been a moment where you walked through the door and it wasn't the right fit? I mean, I would say that there's another reason I'm only staying in the chief of academic role for one year. And um, it really was because of the amount of politics that was happening around me. I think there's always politics with chief of academics roles, but you know, you mentioned already the amount of signs that are out there um, wanting our, our school board to resign. Um, I think that um, the politics really got to me and it was not feeling like it was about kids anymore. And I was doing, I was doing my job and I was doing well, but it felt like I was answering or, you know, it, it didn't feel meaningful to me. It felt like I was doing things to appease the powers that be um, rather than really doing the work for kids. Wow. That's super reflective. I can't even imagine having that, that feeling. And, you know, I talked about the board a little bit that they've been taking these attacks and there's been these videos released and, and something I've heard a lot about female leaders that you also often take attacks. Was there some personal things for you as well? Absolutely. Um, I think uh, it is very, very hard to be a female leader at that level of organization anywhere. Um, but I would say it is in particular in Denver Public Schools at this moment in time. Wow, I had no, I mean, I have some idea because I'm seeing what is being said. I, I like, I haven't seen anything about you personally, but like the board in particular and, and, and other things like, you know, and I'm not saying the board is, is faultless, right? Like we've seen the videos, it's been rough, right? but I have seen just very vulgar and aggressive attacks from people. And so I'm so sorry that happened to you. So glad for PlaceBridge because they're just like getting the diamond in the rough and like the amount of information and knowledge that you have and will bring to them will be so amazing. Um, and so I have to ask you when you say, you know, maybe down the road, you'll, you'll go back, right. And maybe it won't be in DPS or maybe it'll be a different time. What gives you that ability to kind of have, even an open-minded open mindedness about that and like a refreshed look knowing what you know? Well, I mean, I think that there was also a very tactical reason as, uh, another reason why I wanted to go to Place Bridge, which is I'm 46 and I've, uh, at the age of 52, I will have 30 years into my retirement. <laughs> so I really have six years um, to be able to finish here in strong retirement. Um, and also, as I was exploring various options through the WLE, um, really most of the other options for me were going to be out of state. And I have two high school boys as well as an elderly mom here. And picking up my family and moving somewhere else really wasn't an option. And so sort of in six years time, I will be able to retire from a number of public schools. My, my sons will both be in college or working and earning living at that time. And so I'm sort of thinking in six, six to 10 years, like there might be other possibilities for me out there, or I might just, you know, keep on, keep on plugging away here at place. We'll see what happens. I love that you were willing to say like, there's balance here, right? It's not just about the job, the title, the money. There's also you, like, I have kids to consider and I have a family to, and my life to consider, right? And how many personal attacks I can take and how much time I can lose from my family. And I really value that as someone who has very young children, um, and, and often feel con conflicted by that. So you, please let me know, say that, like, it just means the world to me that you were willing to say that if you know some, and I'm sure you do, I'm sure, you know, plenty of principals who are sitting in their schools thinking they wish they were in the district office, right? They think they could have a bigger impact there. They have ideas. What would, what advice would you give them? Um, you know, I think everybody has to make the decision that's best for themselves. I think that there absolutely is tremendous value in being central because you do have an impact on all of the kids, right? Like I know that over the last 10 years, I had an impact on 90,000 kids, which is huge. Um, but your things get slower when you're in central. So when you're at a school level, 
you can see the impact of your actions very, very quickly, right? As a teacher, you see it almost daily with students. As a principal, you see it, you know, more quickly, weekly, monthly, um, depending on what the thing is. When you're at the central office, it takes a lot longer to get things off the ground and to be able to see the impact. And so you have to really learn patience um, and uh, patience in, in seeing the impact. And also you have to really learn how to gather deep feedback from lots of folks across the organizations that you know that your work is, is really making an impact. And you have to have a really thick skin because uh, the feedback is not always nice or kind or worded in a way that you would like to receive it. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I remember when I was in DPS the last year I was there, they had these surveys that teachers all, everybody in your school took on mm -hmm. you as a principal and could leave like open-ended anonymous feedback on the worst. They had like three weeks to do it. So of course they picked like their angriest day to leave you that nugget to like, leave on your heart for the rest of your life. <laughs> you do, you have to have that thick skin. I think that's really important that you point that out. And I think it's good for not just people who want to be in district office, but for principals to hear, like, we know it's hard and, you know, keep going if that's what you want to do for kids. That makes sense. Um, I think one of the things we talked about really quickly is like these reports are coming out and, and it's bad, right? Like, I think it's terrifying to see just how far behind kids are um, and, and just what teachers are being asked to do. So if you were talking to a new principal and, and saying the first thing we're going to do at PlaceBridge is, or the first thing you should do at your school to make a difference for these kids who are so far behind, what would you tell that principal? I do think the emphasis on grade level checks and tasks is huge. Um, we talked about that a lot with my leadership team in June as we starting to plan for next year, which is... Um, we know that we've got some teachers that are saying things like, well, we can't teach kids this content because they're so far behind. I have to stop and go back. Right. And so really getting those grade level texts and tasks and really figuring out how do we scaffold up and differentiate enough within the classrooms that we aren't holding kids back because we don't have time to go backwards. Um, and I think that there's often, you know, if you think about math, for example, um, oftentimes people, people hold the word problems to the end, like that's the challenge. Um, but oftentimes how you learn the skill is by doing the word problem, right? And so it isn't that we all learn in a really sequential order. Sometimes you learn the hardest, the hardest stuff by the, doing the simple stuff, right? And vice versa. And so I just think that the emphasis on grade level texts and tasks is going to be huge. You know, I once saw, and I'm, I'm going to give have the name wrong, so I'm not going to name it, but I once saw a math curriculum done at a high school in Chicago that they had bought from some East Coast private school. And it was this exact model of like, to your point, I mean, very specifically, starting with really heavy duty word problems and breaking it down from there. That we didn't start with break, like trying to build them up to being able to do that, but instead it was like, let's break down what the problem is asking us and learn all the smaller skills underneath. And I think it's true that, you know, there are schools that have really high standards for kids. And there are schools that are really afraid that kids won't be able to do it. If teachers are afraid that a child won't be able to do it, what would you tell them? Try it. Let's see what happens, right? Like what's the worst thing that could happen? Um, let's try it. And I think that, you know, we it, it's not to say that intervention doesn't have its place, right? Or having some small group instruction to give targeted. It's not to say that that isn't important because that is still really important. Um, but it's like, that shouldn't be where we start and end. We've got to really start the, with the hard, harder, more complicated stuff. Um, and also, um, my other big push as, as chief of academics, and it, it will continue to be a place bridge, was also, we need to really make sure that our kids are getting a well-rounded education. Because the more we do drill and kill stuff on the basic, the basic skills, right, then the more kids hate learning. And so we, we, over the years, we've stripped things like science and the science experiments and the cool experiences for kids, because we've just got to get those test scores up. And I think that we've really created a situation where kids really hate coming to school and they really hate learning. And so my other really big push is let's, we've got to put the fun back in learning and motivate the kids to do this. And, you know, if I'm really motivated to do this really awesome project, or this really awesome science experiment, 
then probably I'm going to work harder at reading or I'm going to work harder at my writing because I'm motivated to do some of this. So I think grade level text and test and also bringing back the, the whole education and the fun of learning. It's funny you bring this out. You talk about this. So we had Kimberly Vaughn on she, her episode uh, a couple of weeks ago. She's the executive director of leadership in Charlotte. Um, and she was at the WLE conference and she was telling me about, so she was the principal of a school the last few years that was really underperforming. The state was getting involved. She went in to take it over and to turn it around. And the two things she talked about most was like really rigorous academics, like let's do the work. And then also these incredible trips they took kids on. She was like, we went to Disney, we went to DC, we went to New York. And I was like, and I asked her, I said, you know, often you hear people say like, you know, kids who are so far behind shouldn't be doing those things because they need to go learn math or whatever. And she said, you need to learn math, but you also need to see why. And it's those dreams that tell you why, right? Whether it's, you want to live in New York, you want to do this, you want to be the president, whatever you want to do, they've got a dream to do the work. And I thought that was a really well put thing. And I think to your point, you know, like it's got to be exciting too and fun to learn. Um, everyone has great elementary school memories of enjoying it. And I think you're, I think it's true that we see that not as many kids have those feelings anymore towards school. So what's the first fun thing you're going to do at PlaceBridge? Um, I'm not quite sure yet. Um, okay. the, great, the great thing is, is that I am uh, inheriting a school that has already sort of had quite a lot of this belief. So we already have a STEM program. We have quite a lot of, we've, we've just hired a drama teacher for next year. We've got quite a lot of specials and electives for kids. Um, so I can't answer what new thing I'm going to do, but, but, uh, I think like, we've just got to keep going, keep going with this. That's awesome. All right. So I'll be honest, this has been somewhat of a tough conversation, right? We're talking about how far behind kids are, how hard it is to work in central office, how difficult it is to be a woman leader. And yet you have quite a bit of hope and like, you know, you light up talking about a school. What, what is bringing you that hope? What makes you believe that you can go to the school and make a change despite everything you've been through? You know, I'm not going to lie. It, the last year was really, really hard. Um, and it was hard for, for lots and lots of reasons. When I came into academics, I um, I was coming in after a massive reorganization. And so I had to build teams and hire people back and try to inter- change the culture of the school. And um, not the school, the academics department. Um, and then you know, trying to come to this decision to go to school, it was all really, really a hard year. And I have spent the last couple of weeks, like really um, grounding myself in like, what am I really proud of the last year? What am I really proud of the last 10 years? And what am I really excited about in going um, to the school? I think um, really focusing in gratitude and positivity and where are the opportunities is what always sort of drives me and, and is really helping propel me forward. All right, let me ask you your own question. What are you really proud of in the last 10 years? Um, I think um, I have changed how people talk and think about serving multilingual learners. First of all, we refer to them as multilingual learners, not English language learners anymore. I've changed our our language. I've changed our mindset. When I was in um, my school, we used to have to fight to get our Spanish scores counted. Um, Our Spanish speakers made up the majority of our our kids, but their scores in Spanish didn't really count. Um, And so I've done a really good, done a lot of work to make sure that we are valuing biliteracy. We've elevated the seal of biliteracy. We have a thousand students that graduate with the seal of biliteracy every year. Um, So really getting everybody collectively to help see students' culture and language as assets that we build upon. And um, instructionally, we've done things like um, English language development. Everybody does. It's a no-brainer. We know how to do it now. Um, and we're always seeking to do it better. And so I think we have strong instructional programs now um, that we've built over the last 10 years. Okay. What are you really worried about? I'm really worried about the politics here in Denver. Um, there was the East thing that was happening. There was the school board. Um, in the last week or so, we've been in the news for the firing of a principal. I'm really, really worried about the politics um, that's happening in Denver and the fact that it's detracting from um, kids and kids learning. And I, 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 I'm worried about the narratives and the fact that people are in such a negative space and it doesn't feel like a collective, like we're all going to work together in service of kids. 
I hear you. And I, and I feel, I feel you like as someone who reads track beat every day, right? Like I know exactly what you're talking about. This is my community too. And, and, and I, and I have this share the same fear that like some of the things that we are spending a lot of time and energy on is not kid focused. Let me, let me tell you something. So I asked Ruta Zapetis last week. She's an author, a very famous, you know, big historical fiction author. Um, and some of her books have been banned. And I asked her, I said, um, what, you know, how are you feeling about the banning? And she told me, I'm really excited that parents are involved in what their children are reading. I just wish they could get involved in a little bit of a different way, <laughs> you yeah, know, like that's right. read the book with your kid. Right. Like I'm all, and so I'm sure you feel the same way, right? Like there is something exciting about even just like yard signs about the board, <laughs> you know, I wish it wasn't so negative, but at least they like might can name the board for maybe the first time in Denver's history or whatever. If you were talking to some parents who want to be involved whether they've chosen a positive or a negative path in the past, what would you say is the best way for them to get involved in it? What can they do if they want things changed? They want to, they want to see DPS or their school like rise to its potential. I would say focus at the school level, right? The school level is where, where the rubber really meets the road and where the biggest impact is being felt for their student. Right. And I think it's going to depend on each parent um, in terms of what, what they can contribute, what they're passionate about. But I would say go in and talk to your principal and figure out the best ways to help. I mean, um, I know that some parents say, I actually, I can't come into the school during the school day to help do anything, but I'm happy to go and help like staple things for, <laughs> for kids to work on or cut out laminating or whatever. So I think every parent can engage in a different way. And I think the first thing starts with the conversation with the principal and figuring out what are they passionate about? What is the best way that they can support? All right, I'm going to ask you one more question, then we're going to go into our rapid fire. When you interact with a parent, with a stakeholder or whatever, who is not bringing their best self, how do you manage yourself? Well, I mean, I think that that's, it's really important, right? Like it's really important to not escalate, to not show emotion. And so um, like sort of practice some deep breathing without them noticing, <laughs> trying to stay calm. Um, I have a very strong coaching background. And um, so I use a lot of cognitive coaching type strategies, right? Like um, paraphrasing back to the, back to folks. And because I think that sometimes people get just, really angry and they're fighting for the fight and not necessarily always listening to what they're what they're saying and I think that sometimes when you paraphrase it back then they go oh wait that's not at all what I'm saying and then they calm down and they rephrase um, and sometimes you just have to say like I don't think that we are in the best um, space right now to have this conversation can we pause this conversation and come back tomorrow or you know another time I think sometimes you have to do that just to de-escalate. And then that helps me get my my thoughts in line about how to best navigate. And yeah. Yeah. I think that's I love that it's like two super actionable things that many teachers are trained in, right? Cognitive coaching was really big for a long time. I'm a fan. So I love that. And I think I can already think of a meeting today. I probably could have applied that just a little better. <laughs> so thanks for that. Um, all right, our, our five questions. The first is the name of the podcast is More Than a Test. It's called that because at Amira, we believe in assessments that are every day instead of three times a year. So we can know where kids are all the time. And so children read with ours and we give with our program and then they give we give reports back to teachers every single day. But every guest hears, think, and hears it and thinks of something else. When you heard More Than a Test, what did you think of? The kids are more than test scores. That standardized test scores don't tell the whole story. That's lovely. Um, I want you to think of one literary moment in your life. And what we mean by that is like a moment of you in a book that changed you or that you remember or you hold on to. Um, I would say um, The Namesake by Jhumpa Lahiri. Um, my father is Indian, my mother is English. I have a very immigrant experience here um, coming to this country. And that story um, really resonated with me. I've read the book multiple times and seen the movie multiple times. I still cry every time. Oh, I haven't <laughs> seen the movie. I'll have to look it up, but I have read the book and it's a good one. Yep. A piece of technology you love. Um, can we, can any of us live without our phones? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we well, just came back from a road trip this week, and I was uh, able to run an interview for one of our teachers um, in the middle of Nebraska from my phone. Um, and I was like, I love technology that I'm able to still do work while I'm in this road trip in the middle of uh, cornfields. 
Do you also keep it, use it to keep in touch with your boys wherever they are? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they, you know where they are at all times. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, the, the best advice you've ever been given? This was when I had the pleasure of being able to work for Susana Cordova. She was my supervisor at one time. And, and she's given me this piece of advice multiple times. And so it's one that sticks with me all the time. And what she has told me is that in particular, when you move up in an organization, you can do lots of people's jobs. And, but she will say, but what is it that only you can do? So when you're in your position, you need to really be thinking about how you're using your time and making sure that you are doing the things that only you can do in this, in this role, because even though you might like, or might be good at some of the other things, you're then taking the power away from your teams. I think I really needed that advice today. My goodness, between this and the cognitive coaching, my Friday is about to be a lot better because of this conversation. So thank you so much. Um, and the last thing, one book you think everyone should read. Um, the Together Leader changed my, you know, I, ha I happen to have it right here. Let's see it. The Together Leader. It is the best for any leader in um, education. It has so many tips and tricks on how to get you organized, making sure you're using your time well and wisely. I just, um, this is, I, I have used it in every role I've gone into. And so it's on my desk here as I'm now rethinking how I need to spend my time here as a principal. Um, but it's got super um, useful strategies. All right. I'm adding it to my list. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time today. I know that this is an incredible, vulnerable moment, incredibly vulnerable moment for you as you transition to a new job. You've been through a lot in DPS. Let me thank you for your service to our kids because this is my community too. And um, I can't wait to see all the great things you do uh, for your new school. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on the More Than a Test podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. At Amira Learning, we believe every child deserves a chance to become a reader, and we're excited to be part of this conversation. See you next week, and thanks for joining.